So the question then becomes, what is the link between liberty and the individual's desire for liberty and prosperity and affluence in life? Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to The Salty Pastor. I'm Dr. Douglas Peak, and I'm so glad to be with you today. I'm so glad you're joining me on this podcast. We've got a lot that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We've just gone through a celebration of the birth of our country, uh, July 4th celebration. And what I thought would be really apropos is for us to discuss liberty and where it comes from and why the human condition is so enamored with the concept or principle of liberty. Now, if you're joining us uh, for the first time right now, we are currently in a series throughout this summer at Foothills Christian Church called At The Movies. What we're doing is we're going, we're looking at various movies, uh, ones that were really popular throughout the years, and how the story being told in the movies resonates with the people. And so what we're kind of looking at is how did these stories develop and uh, what kind of biblical principles are they built upon? And is that why they resonate with us so much? My contention is they do. So we're going to dig into the movie today, The Patriot with Mel Gibson. It's a story about a man with a very large family who had lost his wife and he's raising his kids uh, on a plantation in the South. I believe uh, South Carolina area is one of the colonies at that time. And he had fought for the British in some of the Indian wars and he was retired and he would just wanted to be left alone and raise his family. Well, the colonists, uh, because of the Declaration of Independence, a war starts out. And so what happens is the war comes to his front door and it hits his family. And because of that, he realizes I'm going to have to fight for liberty in order to protect my family. So that's what he ends up doing. And so it's kind of a story, a personal story of one man and his struggle to fight in the revolutionary war and how ultimately that brought the birth of our nation. So the, um, the story has a lot of themes in it, has a lot of stuff and, uh, uh, went through all of the biblical foundation of that on Tuesday. And so today on Thursday, what I wanted to do is I want to talk about the implications of liberty. And what I'd like to do is just kind of build a little context for you. Okay. And the first thing is right now, whether you believe it or not, you are living in the best times. It may not seem like it, but the data says beyond a shadow of a doubt, you are living at the best time in human history right now. Tomorrow is more hopeful. It is more filled with opportunity than ever before. Now, even the poorest person living in America today lives better than some of the wealthiest people in America lived 200 years ago. I mean, the advent of all the technology, all of the food supply, the medical care, it's unbelievable what people, uh, standard of living that they have today. Even the poorest people in America live better than the wealthiest people lived 200 years years ago. Now, the reason why is because of our economic system. This economic system has produced more wealth than any system in the history of the world. Today, the data says 
that the average American is wealthier than any person prior to them in any other nation up to this point. America as a country a whole, even with its massive debt, when you look at its productivity and its economy and the GDP it produces, is wealthier than any nation that has ever existed in the history of the world. Now, where did this economic system come from that could produce all of this affluence? Well, the reason why uh, the economic system has flourished is because we have peace. You see, the best way to upset economic prosperity is to be invaded by a foreign power. Nothing like a foreign power to come in and, and conquer you. Nothing like a, a foreign power to declare war on you and disrupt your economic uh, growth and productivity. So because we've had peace uh, through our strength and might for so long, our economy has been able to flourish. Well, why have we had peace? Well, the reason we have peace is because we've been able to keep uh, productivity high, a, which allows us to have a strong military and a stable form of government. So by having a stable form of government, there's not these internal power struggles and acts of violence and ongoing civil wars constantly. It allows the economic system to flourish and create greater affluence. So the question then becomes, what is the link between liberty and the individual's desire for liberty and prosperity and affluence in life? Well, let's go back and look a little bit about history and the idea of liberty for the individual. First of all, Cicero in the first century, he kind of talked about liberty in his writings. Prior to that, Plato, this is about fourth century BC, so before Christ was born, he talked about liberty uh, in the Republic, uh, this book that he wrote. Uh, prior to that, Moses recorded the Exodus, which was leading the Israelites out of slavery into liberty or freedom. And this happened around the 15th century BC. So the idea of liberty has been around a long time. And there's a massive amount of historical record of people being uh, pursuant and pursuing liberty in and of itself. So the question then becomes when you have all this historical uh, documentation, why uh, is the idea of liberty a part of the human condition? Why does the human soul desire liberty, regardless of what they believe about God? Well, I think this is really important to understand, is it has to do with our human nature. Now, at the core, the Bible is a revelation that defines human existence. That's what it does. When you say, do you have a biblical worldview? What you're asking is a simple question. And that is, do you allow the Bible to divine human existence? What does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be conscious or sentient? Uh, what is that reality? Well, the Bible defines it. It says, this is why we are here. We're created in the image of God. Why do we exist? Okay. To walk and with God and to know him. And there are two basically, uh, so that's what the Bible teaches. Now, what's interesting is there's only one other option. So when you break it down, there's really only two options uh, on how you're going to answer the question of why are we here and why do we exist? Okay. First of all, 
is the one where the Bible says this is why. The other one is known as uh, scientific materialism, atheism, secular humanism, uh, atheism, these types of things basically say you evolved without any design or you were uh, not created for any purpose. So if the Bible says you've been created in the image of God, you were formed from dust, you have a purpose, you have consciousness, you have sovereignty is a free moral being, you have free will and choice. But if the Bible uh, isn't true, if we're not created, then the scientific materialists don't confuse them, please, with scientists, because they are not. They are religious people who masquerade as scientists, okay? Uh, the scientific materialists are correct. And what the scientific materialists, these are people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye the Science Guy, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, uh, Hutchins, um, uh, uh, Bart Erlman. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. There's tons and tons of these people. And that what they postulate is this, since we evolved, we are not created. And that means there is no free will. There's only determinism. So you do not have free will. It's only an illusion. There is no actual consciousness. Consciousness doesn't exist. It's an illusion, an effective one, Sam Harris says, uh, but it's still an illusion. Three, you have no intrinsic value whatsoever. It's, this is a mindless evolutionary process. You are born and then you die. And the only goal is to propagate the genes. That's it. Of course, they don't explain why that's the goal. I mean, why would that be a goal? Because in order for that to be a goal, then you would have to say something is driving that as a goal, right? Some type of information or design, but nonetheless, they disagree with that. They also say this, there's actually no morality. There's no objective morals or duties. So there's nothing objectively always wrong, no matter what. And the illustration that philosophers use is this, torturing babies for fun. You see, um, is that objectively wrong no matter what? Well, according to atheism or scientific materialism, there is nothing wrong intrinsically with that. Okay. So on the other side of it, if the Bible's true, then you are created. And if you've been created, then guess what? Your founding fathers are correct. You see, your, find, your founding fathers who designed the Declaration of Independence, and all of its precepts wrote the constitution all had the same frame of reference. Now today, what deconstructionists attempt to do is try to prove that our founding fathers were not of the same frame of reference in their uh, minds about the reality in which they lived by trying to personalize their religious experience. So they were trying to say, well, they're not religious. And this person wasn't passionate about their religion. But in reality, that is a red herring. It's a false flag. It's, oh, may I use a common term today? It is misinformation. Because the issue was never their personal conviction. Their, the issue was their frame of reference was all the same. And their frame of reference was 100% the Judeo-Christian reality or revelation of human existence. Okay. So if 
We are created. Our founding fathers all believed we were created, that there was providence, that there was a God. And that meant that every human being had free will. And this is why they said we have rights that come from being created, a creator, an objective outside authority. It doesn't come from government. And that means we have free will. This means you can change the course of your life and uh, your decisions have consequences on those choices. So if you're going to change the course of your life by making better choices, you, you know, the choices you make have consequences. The other thing is our founding fathers believe they all believe that you have value simply because you exist. And this is the notion. We are all created equal endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. These are things you can never take away from the human existence, the human experience, a human being. And these are objective morals. They are objective duties. They are objective qualities that exist within human existence. So our founding fathers did not have a scientific materialist, secular humanist, atheistic worldview at all. They had the exact opposite. 100% of them had the frame of reference that human beings were created and endowed with unalienable rights by an objective creator that exists outside of time and space. So once you build that foundation and you have it set, it means we now have to define our human existence as spiritual in nature because we have souls. You see, we have to realize that our issue is soulness and whether our souls are healthy and whether our souls are sick. As a matter of fact, one of the early founders said, look, this thing, this experiment, this representative republic or democracy will only work if we have a virtuous people. And you can only have a virtuous people if there is a creator in which they know and follow. And what's interesting is even today, um, I was listening to a TED talk just recently where the guy got up and he goes, look, no one can define consciousness. We don't know where it comes from or why it exists. I mean, these are the leading scientific researchers out there, not scientific materialists. People who are actually scientists and they're saying, you know, we have no idea where consciousness comes from. We don't know where it exists in the brain. We don't know how it comes. We know your memories come from. We know uh, where language comes from. We know where decision-making comes from, where emotions come from. We know all this stuff about the brain, but consciousness, we have no idea where it comes from. It is still a mystery. So if you believe in the atheistic approach, guess what? There is no consciousness. But if you believe in the Judeo-Christian or the biblical revelation, then there is consciousness. And the revelation of the Bible states that the human soul was originally free, but became trapped due to a choice that was made. Now I want you to pick up on this. This is very important to understand why we long for liberty is that our original authentic self walked in freedom, lived in liberty 100%. But because of our free will, we made a choice. Human beings made a choice and that choice then entrapped us, right? And it's interesting because now we long for something that we once had in our souls, but no longer possess. So the idea then is free will exists, 
But the denial of free will by modern day atheists is the opposite of this. The Marxism, for instance, is an 100% denial of basic human nature. In Marxism, there's no value in individuality at all. There is no sense of individual sovereignty, free will, or self-determination. It, human beings exist only for the sake of the state. They become commodities. The state then becomes the caretaker of human beings and determines what is best for them. This is why Marxism is an ideology that is 100% opposed to the basic definition of what it means to be a human being as revealed in the Bible. Okay. They are diametrically opposed. So why is it then that we struggle to experience liberty? Well, because we're entrapped by what the Bible calls sin or flaws, and we can walk in ways that create oppressive external environments to true liberty. As a matter of fact, the person that is most dangerous to me walking in liberty is myself. When my own earthly desires run amok, I lack discipline or self-control or I choose to follow inflamed passions or desires when I walk in the old and not the redeemed new. These things are dangerous to liberty and freedom. So it's interesting though, we also can create this in an external environment in governments all the time. And these external environments can become dangerous to experiencing and walking in liberty. Cicero, Cicero wrote the following words, only in states which the power of the people is supreme has liberty any abode. It meant, in other words, liberty will only live in states where the power of the people is supreme. There's no centralized control. There's no dictator, autocrat, king, monarch, any of these things. Uh, F.A. Hayek, he lamented that society uh, in America was abandoning the basic individualism inherited by us from Erasmus to uh, Montaigne, from Cicero to Tacitus, Pericles, and uh, Theucides. So it's really interesting to me is that even Hayek realizes that in America, the biggest danger that we have to our own personal liberty is when the society abandons this revelatory definition of what it means to be a human being. The founding fathers frame of reference of human existence. That is why we're in danger. Uh, Ronald Reagan once said that America will only fall uh, when it happens from within. That's kind of a paraphrase of what he said. So let me share with you just a few main conclusions about why we need to maintain the principle of liberty in America today. First and foremost is that it holds true to the foundational upstream principle that we were originally created as human beings. We have living souls. We've been created in the image of God and we walked in total freedom and liberty. But our choices, the fact that every human being has sinned and fallen short of the God hinders us from walking in and experiencing that. So we want to live in societies that allow us to overcome that and experience the truth of his revelation. 
Number two is faith in Jesus is a spiritual awakening, a moving from death to life. So the sacrifice of Christ had one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to free your soul. The sacrifice of Christ wasn't didn't happen to set up some political system. It happened to set individuals free. However, the freedom of those individuals is critical for the form of uh, self-governance that we have. Democracy, that's why I always say this. This is important. I want you to catch this. Democracy is not Christianity. However, democracy would not exist without the revelation of God. This is so important. The earliest forms of democracy, for instance, that in Greece and then in the Roman world era, tried to reflect the spiritual quality of liberty that human heart longs for, but they all failed. And why did they fail? They failed because the human nature corrupted them. So there wasn't any restraining principle on these early attempts at democracy, okay? And they all failed. Number three, American democracy succeeds because it's rooted in the spiritual reality, the frame of reference that our founding fathers had. So even though Christianity is not democracy, Democracy is dependent upon Christianity, particularly in America, because we are not a pure democracy. We are a republic, and our constitution is designed to restrain the government. Why? Because human beings will serve in the government, and human nature can corrupt the government all the time, just like in those early attempts at democracy. Third, a representative government can only serve the people if those who are representing the people are termed out. That's why in the Constitution, our representatives, congressmen, our senators, and then later on the president are only allowed to serve a certain length and then they must be reelected. Okay? You don't get an appointment and you're there forever. One of the reasons why the early attempt at democracy and Rome failed was because you were only a, you were appointed to the Senate as a life appointment. It was based upon your ancestry. It, could you genetically track your way back to one of the founding families of Rome? And were you in that senatorial class, the highest class? Only senators could come from that class. And so that because of that, they would serve forever. And that's why it failed because it could easily become corrupted. And that's what happened. That's the whole story of Julius Caesar and how he corrupted the democracy. He imposed a dictatorship. And then as soon as that happened, shortly thereafter, he was murdered by his own people. Okay. Finally, oh, not finally, but number four, it is important to note that liberty doesn't just apply to politics in the American system. It applies uh, to politics, but also economics and spirituality. This is rooted in the constitution for our, um, in the amendments, you know, the first amendment, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. The second one, the freedom to bear arms. And these are freedoms that are uh, given to the people. And so it's liberty just doesn't exist politically, but in all these other areas. Okay. Number five, therefore, even though democracy is not Christianity, America and its form of democracy would not exist, exist if it were not for Christianity, Christianity can exist without democracy. 
Okay. We see this happening in China right now. You can even see it in Iran. One of the fastest growing churches in the world today is led by women who are in Iran. On the other side of the point of the coin, American democracy cannot exist without Christianity. I'll say that again. American representative democracy will not exist without Christianity. What happened when we tried to impose democracy in the African nations during the late, uh, or the mid 1900s to the late 1900s abject failure. Every one of them turned into a dictatorship or a military junta. Don't you love the way you say that junta? I always like that. Even though it's a very bad thing, the word sounds kind of cool. The other thing that we have to realize is what happened when um, we tried to impose democracy in Southeast Asia in the, in the 70s. They became communist countries. What happens when we tried to introduce democracy to Kuwait, Iraq, or any of these other Middle East countries? It didn't work. In any country that doesn't have Christianity at its core in its, in its existence, democracy has failed every single time except for one. And you know what that one country was? Japan. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you want to dig deeper in this point, you can. It's important to note that it's not just Christianity in general that is necessary, but it's a certain form of Christianity, and that is Protestant Christianity. Just look at South America right now. South America is filled with democratic governments. However, they tend to be very weak. They tend to bounce in and out of fascism or totalitarianism. This is because the spiritual foundation, I know this is salty to say, but I want you to hear it, is Roman Catholicism. Throughout history, Roman Catholicism has been ambivalent towards the sovereignty of the individual because many of its tenets and practices have been adopted from governments or political movements. The basic structure of the Catholic Church, the priest who answers to a bishop, the bishop answers to a cardinal, the cardinals elect the pope, and the pope has absolute revelatory authority was adopted from the Roman military structure. And it still exists the same way to this day. This is why there was a 30 year war after an 80 year war in Europe, starting in the mid 1500s. And it went all the way up to the middle 1600s because it had to do with whether or not we were going to be under the thumb, the authoritative structure of the Roman Catholic church or did people have the possibility of reading the Bible and following God through Jesus Christ on their own accord? And so these wars in Europe that lasted for somewhere between, you know, 80 to 120 years were because of the power and authority that the Catholic Church wanted to impose upon people regardless of their own sovereignty. So that transferred over into the South American states. And that's why their democracies are weak. The most powerful democracy has been the American representative government, a republic, where the government is restrained by the Constitution to protect the rights of the people. It can't run over them. And then in order to do this successfully, 
it came out of a frame of reference. All of these checks and balances and all of these restraints were set up because our founding fathers all had the exact same frame of reference. And that frame of reference was this. What does it mean to be a human being? What do we understand and know about human nature? And so they all had that and they came up with the greatest system that ever existed. There's no such thing as a utopia. There's no such thing that imperfect people can come up with a perfect system because the only way to finally find the ultimate liberty is to be freed spiritually. And that can only happen through the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrifice on the cross and the power of his salvation proved in his resurrection from the dead. So that's why you long for liberty first spiritually and then materially, horizontally. So my encouragement for you, my friends, is to never realize, uh, to never forget that protecting liberty on a material or horizontal sense is the best way for people to discover the need for spiritual liberty, which is the only true freedom that we ever experience, and that is freedom in Christ. So the movie that is going to be looked at, uh, The Patriot, is a struggle, and you must struggle. You must struggle to fight for your liberty here on this earth, and you, though most specifically, must fight the deception of the evil one in order to walk in the fullness of spiritual freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So this is God. Uh, I just want to say, God bless you. This is Salty Pastor. I am signing off for another uh, chapter of the Salty Pastor, another episode. I hope it blessed you and it encouraged you about the power of liberty. Blessings. <laughs>